morning. I, I guess the song ended. Um, so, Sunday mornings, we've been going through the book of Peter, letter of Peter. Um, and uh, we're going to continue doing that today. We'll be in the fourth chapter, and we're going to go through the first six verses. So, First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I, um, so it's interesting. Last week, I think we had 113 people. And this week, I think we're missing 19 women to a women's retreat. And it's a smaller group. But, uh, I actually love smaller groups. I think God just does what he wants with who he brings. You know, he has his purposes. So I'm just thankful for all of you being here. Uh, so Peter, We'll start with praying. Father, we just need you to be here and meet us here and to make the value here, like to bring, um, you know, make this a time that is worth people being here for, a time that you use and you work in their lives and work in their hearts and change us and grow us and bring us to be like you. Uh, I pray that you'd be bringing all of us into close relationship with you because really that is a wonderful thing and it is the way to live a life. Um, we just ask that you would uh, give wisdom and insight and uh, use your scriptures today. Ask that in Jesus' name, amen. So Peter, um, pretty small letters, about 1,700 words in the original language. It's less than 1,700. But uh, there's a word that's very common in Peter that's not common in the rest. Well, it is common, but not as common as in Peter in the rest of the Bible. And this is the word suffering, like suffer, suffer, suffering. Uh, Peter uses that word about 50 times as frequently as the rest of the Bible. It's the, the most common, or, or I should say, Peter has the most of that word compared to anywhere else. And, and so it's kind of a theme of the book. Peter is writing to uh, Christians who are spread through the Gentile world, and Nero had taken over, and um, he was uh, in Rome, and he was quite a persecutor of Christians. So uh, that's who he's writing to here. And so, you know, we're talking about suffering, and the reason we're doing that is because we're studying Peter, and Peter's really the place in the Bible that it talks about suffering. And, you know, if you find yourself suffering or persecuted, going and reading First Peter is a good idea. Um, it has something to say about that. Just like if you're a new Christian, going and reading the Gospels is a good idea because you're learning about what Jesus did. Um, so, you now that's where we are. That's what we're studying today. Now, the first verse, actually, I'll read all of the verses, and then we'll go back through them one at a time. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So Peter starts, uh, verse 1, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, uh, 
And we, we talked about this last week at the Good Friday service. We talked about the suffering of Christ. And, you know, just quickly, uh, you think about Christ and he was uh, betrayed and then falsely accused and um, beaten. They put a, a sack over his head and then struck him, which, you know, like uh, we have natural reactions. So if somebody goes to hit you, you kind of give a little with the blow. And if your head's covered, well, they blindfolded. If you're blindfolded, you can't see that coming. So you can't give it all. You just take the full brunt of it. Um, and then, you know, they took him and they uh, scourged him and they put the crown of thorns on him. They hit him with the rods where to drive the, the crown, uh, the spikes into the skin. And, you know, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And this is a command. This is something we're to do. And, uh, I'm kind of a daydreamer. You know, I just sit there. I could be in the post office and I'm just imagining some elaborate situation playing out in front of me. And uh, at home, I have a couple of things that I imagine. One, I imagine my dog getting in a fight with a mountain lion. And I think, okay, what am I going to do? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to sprint into the kitchen, grab the knife from the knife block, sprint out towards the dog and the mountain lion with the knife and hopefully win. Um, now, if I didn't have a knife, I think a mountain lion could take both of us. They're Cats and cats are amazing. So, uh, but I think about that. And I also sometimes think, like, if I was coming home and if there was a burglar in the house, you know, what would I do? I was like, oh, well, I'd run for this club thing and then, you know, go find him. And like I said, I'm a daydreamer. These are not realistic situations. Uh, we have a, uh, some former law enforcement here thinking these are all terrible ideas. Um, so don't, don't go do this. But, uh, but all of these, when I think of, a a uh, real sort of battle type of scenario, I think of the need to be armed. I think of the need to have a weapon, something to be equipped to deal with the situation. And, and that's what this word is, arm. It has to do with having a weapon. You need to be equipped for the situations you're going to face in life as a Christian. And what he says to be armed with is a way of thinking. We sometimes think we need to be armed with you know, a set of actions, and sometimes we think we need to be armed with some knowledge. And I, I think often in the church we leave out that an important part of your Christian life is how you think about things. It's having this sort of heavenly perspective on what's important. Um, and that's the command here is arm yourselves with a way of thinking. And it's the same way of thinking that Christ had. We're told um, of Christ in First Peter for 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So one of his ways of thinking was that um, he was going to suffer, but it had this goal of bringing us to God. And so he went through the suffering, he went through the persecution, keeping his focus on what it was going to accomplish that it might bring us to God. It also says in Isaiah 53, 11, uh, that out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And so his way of thinking was that um, he would see what his suffering would accomplish, and he'd be satisfied with that and happy with it. Like, at the end of it all, he looks and sees, you know, saving mankind, totally worth it. Um, so that's, again, part of his way of thinking. Now, he saw the call of God in his life, and he saw persecution ahead of him. And that really probably started 
at the very beginning, we're told that uh, his journey starts in heaven. He's, he's there. He's equal with God. And he didn't think of that as something to grasp onto. Um, but it says, it says this in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. So he comes down to earth, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He had to go through the birth process, which is messy. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, uh, even death on a cross. And so I, I imagine that Jesus, at each stage of that journey, kind of had to think about, like, what am I giving up here? And at each stage, he's sort of giving something up. He's giving up being in heaven equal with God. And then he's giving up. He could have come down just to rule, but he gave up rule. He came down to serve. And then he even gave up being respected by the people around him. He allowed them to persecute him. And ultimately, he gave up his life, right? And each of these steps, we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane before um, he goes to the cross saying, you know, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup be taken up from me. Let me not do this. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so he's there deciding that, you know, I'm going to have to give up my life in order to accomplish this greater goal. And we have the same sort of question asked of us uh, almost daily, really. And it's, are you going to take personal loss for the benefit of God's kingdom? Now, I don't mean for the benefit of the church or for the benefit of a religious organization or anything like that. I mean just for the benefit of, of God's kingdom so that people can uh, look at you and say, okay, that's what Jesus looks like. That's what God's like. And they can then decide, having seen that, whether or not they, they want that. You know? um, but we have to decide, just like Jesus said, you want to give up pursuing your own selfish ambitions uh, in order to help others know who God is and what he's like. Continuing in verse 1, uh, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And Paul's following here the, the line of reasoning that, I'm sorry, Peter is following here, the line of reasoning that, that Paul has in Romans 6, where he talks about uh, us being crucified, uh, or really, let me step backwards on that. We'll talk about what, what Paul talked about in just a minute. So, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The old man was crucified with Christ, dead. Uh, and that is symbolized in baptism. And that's what Paul was also talking about in Romans 6. So we had a baptism last week. And three days before that, we had communion. Now, communion is communion and baptism are the two ordinances that Jesus gave us. Right? So you got, um, if you go to the Catholic Church, they say, oh, there's seven sacraments. And uh, then you go to sort of the Bible, and it looks like Jesus just gave us two practices or two ordinances. There's two things you should do. Uh, one is communion, where we take the bread, take the wine. And the other is baptism. 
And the thing about communion, it's really interesting if you look at it, communion is the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. That's what it symbolizes. And it's really a remembrance of his death. It, it points to his death. Uh, when you take it, you're proclaiming, hey, Jesus died, I believe this. Baptism is proclaiming our death to our old self because it says that you go down into the water. Um, you know, don't you know as many of you as were... Uh, so sorry. Different translation. Romans 6.4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of his Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So it's interesting, you know, these two sacraments, one declares the death of Christ, and the other one, it declares that we're dying to our old selves. And so what Peter says here, if whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, uh, and what he's told us is that we have to have the same way of thinking, we have to be willing to die to our fleshly passions. And Peter's going to expand on that in verse 2. He says, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So that's what we're called to. Um, and that's what baptism, which we had a baptism, that's what it symbolizes, that you're giving up, living for yourself, and that you're going to live for God. And that's the way of thinking we're supposed to have. You know, giving up living for yourself, falling living for God. This is not easy, right? Nobody hears this and says, oh, I really want that. But in the long run, God is very wise and he created us to have that relationship with him. And it turns out to be very good for us. Um, and it's, it's really a joy and a pleasure to get to live for the will of God. Now, Peter in the next verse is going to give a list of uh, the things that are human passions that people live for. But before we get there, I want to talk about verse 2 a bit more. First, there's this phrase here in verse 2, rest of the time. And I like that phrase because it's basically from this point on, until the end of your life. And that means that even if, you know, how, however you got into this room um, and whatever you've learned about God to this point, you may not know everything that God has called you to. Right? It's kind of like there was, that, uh, there was that body of new believers that Paul shows up to and he starts talking to them. He's like, oh, you guys hear about the Holy Spirit? Like, you never heard of that. What was the Holy Spirit? And Paul's like, oh, got to tell you about this. Then you got to receive the Holy Spirit. This is an important part of being a Christian. But they just hadn't heard about it. And I think sometimes we can end up with people in a church. Either they grew up there. Maybe they just kind of gone all their lives. Um, and, excuse me. Maybe they've gone all their lives uh, just sort of culturally. We have this culturally Christian area we live in. And um, maybe they haven't heard that they're not supposed to live for human passions. And so if that's you, Peter just says for the rest of the time, from today forward, don't live for human passions. Okay, Start living for 
what God calls us to. I had a friend like that. It was actually kind of a sad story who grew up in a church and uh, ended up in an immoral relationship with a girl. And I remember a couple years later, he's telling me, did you know the Bible says that I'm not supposed to do that? And I was like, I, I felt bad for one because we're friends, but I didn't really think I ever had to tell him that. I just figured he knew. Um, but he was just honestly saying that. He had not been told that he was called to live this different kind of life. He just didn't know. And so, you know, what Peter says here is to let you know that we're to live a different kind of life, no longer for human passions. Now, Jesus said in Mark 4.19, But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, that word desires, that is the same word as passions that Peter used. The desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. God has has reasons for us not to live for just what our body wants. And one of those is that it sort of takes what God has done in our lives and it sort of causes it to have less and less impact on us until really it doesn't doesn't mean much. And you sort of see that happen. Um, this happened in Solomon's life. He was tremendously wise. And God had given him wisdom. It wasn't just human wisdom, it was godly wisdom. And at the end of his life, he departed from God. Uh, he had done three things that the Bible told him not to do. Uh, he multiplied wives to himself, he uh, multiplied horses, and multiplied gold and silver. He collected all these things. And God had said very specifically, don't do this because it will draw your heart away from me. And Solomon did it at the end of his life. He drew his heart away from him. So that is something that we need to be careful of. And really these human passions, while um, what Peter is going to talk about is very specific to a Roman world, for us, it's really just anything that we would put up in front of Christ. Anything that we'd put sort of first on the throne of our lives. Anything that we'd make the master passion of our life besides God. And what we're to do is not live for those, but we're supposed to let God be first and to put those other things in their rightful place. Some of them can be very good things in their rightful place. But, um, you know, anything that shows up first. Now, verse 3 of the chapter we're studying, looking at the Roman list here, for the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, uh, the idea there is that they are uh, sexually immoral and open about it. So that, there's been plenty of time spent on that, that's what Peter says. Uh, passions, that's like sort of inward lust, it's not the open immorality, but it's the inward lust. Uh, plenty of time has been spent on that. Uh, drunkenness, plenty of time has been spent on that. Um, orgies, that one's not acceptable in our culture, but it was in, say, Corinth, uh, in Rome. Drinking parties, that's very acceptable in our culture. You go to college and people think that's the right thing to do almost. Um, but we're told that this is a human passion. We're not supposed to be spending our time that way. And lawless idolatry. 
And in the Roman world, there were tons of idols. They had ways of worshiping them. In our world, not so much. You know, we don't have them uh, in our culture because we live in a largely Christian culture in terms of what it was influenced by. But, but that's the list. And I love what Peter says is that the past suffices for doing what they do. In other words, uh, if you do any more of it, it's too much. There's been enough time wasted on that. And, and time's a really precious thing. I, I think of this song by Jim Croce, and maybe I can remember the words, but just, it was him singing about how important time was because he wanted time to spend for someone. And it's kind of a bad, a bad example because he really wanted time to go spend in a relationship and, uh, with a girl and, and, that's not what we're supposed to spend our time for. But just he had the value of time that, that we should. He said, like, if I could put time in a bottle, I'd spend, uh, I'd save every moment until eternity passes so I could spend it with you. You know, he just thought it'd be so wonderful to be able to save up time and spend it on what's important. And then he says, uh, but there never seems to be enough time to do the things that you want to do once you find them. And that's really related to what Peter says here, is like, live for the rest of the time you have. You only have so much time. Spend that time living for God and not for what your body wants. Um, and the time that has passed, there's been enough time spent on the passions of the flesh. And it's really a waste of a life to live for anything else. It's really kind of a sad story when um, people tell you about their Nights of being drunk. When, when you spend, I spent a long time in college. And, uh, so you run into people and they just think you want to hear about how they barely remember what happened the previous day. And they think it's really interesting. And it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a waste of life. It's not kind of, it is a waste of a life. It's a waste of time. Now, you would think, that if you went from being drunk every weekend to uh, spending your time, say, serving others, and uh, going to church, learning about God, if you made a switch from being one person to another, you would think people say, hey, okay, what kind of change is it? Okay, they were always drunk, and now they are not. They don't seem to need that anymore. They've gotten out of that. You would think they say, okay, where's the line? How do I get out of that? Or maybe they go through a string of relationships. You know, some people spend so much time pursuing relationships and, and they really damage their lives doing it often. And say somebody goes from that to living for God. They seem content with what they have now. You know, not needy for a relationship, not trying to fill some void in their life with things. You think again that people look at that contrast and say, where's the line? How do I do that? How do I have the same thing? But that's not often what happens. See, it says in verse 4, with respect to this, with respect to you no longer living for human passions and now living for the will of God, they're surprised. It just doesn't make sense to them. Like, oh, remember, I don't know what name we don't have in here. Chuck. I don't have any Chucks. Remember Chuck who used to go out drinking with us every weekend? Now he's just going to church. It's kind of weird, right? And 
they, they're surprised. It, it doesn't make sense to them. And uh, when you don't join them, and then it says also that they malign you. To malign somebody is to speak critically of them, to speak evil of, evil of you. And so we need to not be surprised when God does tremendously good things in our life, but some people don't don't take it well. They say, you know what? I just don't want to have a part of that. Uh, we need to not be surprised by that. Uh, we need to not be surprised when they reject that God has changed our life. And it can hurt, right? Like, I look at relationships I've had, uh, friends that just sort of melt away. They sort of, there's there's nothing in common. And um, they don't want to do what I want to do. I don't want to do what they want to do, for sure. And um, that can hurt be like that. There was a time when Paul, he, Paul was a Jew, and he wanted, once he became a believer, he wanted all of the Jews to be saved. And that was just his heart's passion. At one time, he said he would be cursed, that is, cut off from God, if the rest of the Jews could be. He was willing to give up everything for them. And he got a chance to speak to them, and what happened was it started right. And then they plotted to kill him because he was telling them what Jesus had done. You know, sometimes people don't want to give up what they have. Jesus knew that the religious leaders didn't want to give up what they had. They had the respect of people. Uh, They had power. They had wealth. They didn't want to give that up. And they wanted to kill him, to hold on to it. And it's not going to be different for us. There are going to be people that don't want to give up what they have. And as a result, they'll actually actively be opposed to God's work in our life. And they will persecute us for it. But when that happens, we are to have what we saw all the way back in verse 1. We're to have the same way of thinking as Christ, who, you know, he's in heaven. He says, I'm going to have to go through all of this, through persecution, rejection, and death, in order to accomplish God's will. And we're to have that same kind of mind that, you know, I'm going to be willing to do that. Now, the guy writing this, his name's Peter, and uh, the thing about Peter is, at one point, he denied Christ three times. One time in front of a little servant girl. And now he's telling people to have the same way of thinking as Christ and that they'd be willing to go through dying to themselves every day, which I think is really harder than uh, just one time, you know, death. Somebody says, you believe in God or I'll shoot you. It's like, okay, or I'm sorry, don't believe in God or I'll shoot you. I, not that it'd be easy, but I think it'd be easier to say, okay, I believe in God and you're going to have to shoot me. I think that's easier than the day-by-day sort of wearing away of um, people sort of saying, well, you know, you you could just be a little less interested in God, sort of them pushing against your belief daily. But um, anyway, so Peter, he had denied 
previously. And here he's saying you have to have the same mind as Christ had, and you have to keep that mind for the rest of your life, right? Because uh, for the rest of the time. You say, well, how can he tell us to do the same thing? Um, after Jesus died, Peter went on to live and then to die a martyr. And he did do the things that he is calling us to here. And he did that because God provides um, the Holy Spirit and he gives us the strength when we need it to do it. And so, you know, some of you might be sitting there thinking, that is hard and I don't know if I can do it. Um, there's some truth to the fact that you can't, right? I can't do this thing in and of myself. But I can do this thing because God strengthens to do it. And you can do it, what he's called us to, because God strengthens us to do it. And so keep that in mind. Be encouraged that while it is hard, you're walking with God. And um, God plus zero is a majority, but God plus you is also a majority. Okay. So if you're on his side, even if all your coworkers or all of your nation or everybody else disagrees and is against you, you can continue to walk with him. Now, verse 5 says, But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And, you know, the truth is, someday everybody is going to be judged. It's appointed a man wants to die and then the judgment. I don't know what that's going to look like. The scripture doesn't give us a lot of insight into it. Uh, we'll be judged by God uh, standing before him. And I don't want to have to answer for a wasted life. You know, I don't want to have to answer for a life spent pursuing girls or pursuing being uh, inebriated or uh, anything else. I want to be able to say, you know, I did spend time uh, pursuing the will of God with my life. That's life's a precious gift. You know, it's not wasted. Now, verse 6 is tricky. And I as of yet, so I'm standing up here talking to you, and I haven't quite yet figured out what to say about it. So that's that's a problem that some of you probably see. You know, I'm up here talking and spending your time, so I should know exactly what to say. Um, so I'm going to do the most honest job I can with it. So I'll read it, for this is why the gospel is preached, even to those who are dead. And that's the tricky part. What does that mean, even to those who are dead? That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. There are sort of three popular ways of viewing it. Uh, one, those who are dead, it could mean those that were martyred. Okay, they've, they've died, and then that would mean that when it talks about being judged in the flesh, they got judged by other people. That kind of makes sense, and they might live in the spirit the way God does. So they're still alive in heaven with the Lord. So that would make sense. Uh, those who are spiritually dead is another option for there. Like, the gospel is always preached to people who are spiritually not alive. Um, and they can hear it and, you know, receive spiritual life. And then, you know, when they die, they're with the Father. And then the third option, which is the strangest and the one I think is right, uh, is this, that those who are dead suggests that Jesus actually went and preached to the dead. And then when Jesus died, uh, his spirit had to go somewhere. 
and then it went down to Hades. And there he had some kind of ministry for three days until the Father raised him from the dead. You know, we read earlier in Peter, it says, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. And, uh, you know, suggesting that he spoke to spirits, not just men, but to the spirits of men once they died. You know, the people that had died before Christ came. And then also it says, speaking of Jesus, that God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You know, he had died and his spirit had gone to wherever our spirits go when they die before Christ came. Um, and that Jesus went and preached there to those people as well. So that they all had opportunity to hear the gospel and hear the good news. Now, um, it doesn't matter much which of those you believe is, is what God is saying. Um, your relationship with Christ is not going to be impacted strongly by that. So I thought I'd just mention all three of them for you, leave you to be as confused as I was, and uh, <laughs> go back and recap the rest of the, the chapter, the earlier section. So the takeaway from this is that since Christ suffered for us, we look at him as an example. We see uh, his example of being willing to give up his life, being willing to give up human passions, and to live for God's will. And we just, we're told to arm ourselves with that, to be equipped, thinking that that's what we want to do as well. And one of the reasons you want to be equipped for that is you don't want to be surprised. You don't want to be surprised when the world sees this beautiful thing God's doing in you, taking you from being whatever you were before. And we've been so many things. We each know what we were before, uh, to what God makes us into. And we don't want to be surprised when the world sees that and rejects it and we get persecuted. We don't want that to sidetrack us from doing what God's called us to do. So, you know, that way we'll be armed to bear unjust accusations and persecutions. Um, that way we'll be ready to daily sort of give up and pursue what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, sometimes it's very serious and harrowing, and that's what you gave us Peter for. Um, we appreciate just that you are serious and honest about what things are like, and you don't just let us flitter through life and get to the point at the end where you then say, uh, what have you done with your life? Why did you waste it? So thank you for telling us ahead of time so that we can live our life for you and not waste the time. Um, so that we can not be surprised when we're pushed back on. I just appreciate greatly that you provide so much for us. Uh, I ask that you would take the words and work them into our heart and um, help us to live that way. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.